talk about the kingdom of God, shall we? Uh, here's a good way to jump in. There is a conflict in the universe. We know this. We talk about it a lot. It may be a necessary conflict in that the universe m- might need to be set up in a, in, a, in a manner of struggle and conflict so that we grow and develop and have to press in. There's something about that that's good for our souls. But whatever the reason, there is conflict in the universe. And it is essentially a conflict between kingdom order on one side and chaos on the other side. You see it all over the universe. You know, the universe began, which is not a chaotic thing, that's an orderly thing, beginnings, it came into being. And since then, it's been in entropy, it's been declining, it's been slowing, uh, or so we are told, except when it's not. You know, everything is falling apart in the universe, it's decay, except life happened somehow. There's a force of life that contends against the chaos of uh, the universe. Uh, When Jesus talks about the kingdom of God or kingdom order, that's what kingdom means. It means order or dominion. The kingdom of God is God's dominion of things, God's order of things. When Jesus talks about uh, the order of God or the kingdom of God, uh, he talks about order contending against chaos. You know, when he brought the kingdom of God uh, to uh, the planet in a manifest sort of way, well, in the kingdom of God, or in the kingdom of heaven, as it's called in the, in the Gospel of Matthew, is there, is there sickness? Is there death? No. So when Jesus manifested the kingdom of God on earth, he cured the sick. He would even occasionally resurrect the dead, and he talked about this resurrection uh, unto life uh, that comes after death as well when uh, the kingdom of heaven encounters poverty. Well, there's no poverty in heaven, and so the people of God bring justice and plenty uh, to people who are deprived, even if we have to do it supernaturally, even if we have to multiply five loaves and two fish. This is really what the gospel stories are about. It's about Jesus bringing order, kingdom order, to people who are in chaos, bringing kingdom truth to people who are in the chaos of of ignorance or, or disorder in their thinking. We've talked about that a lot of Blue Water Missions, so the themes are probably familiar to you. In the most general terms, when Jesus talks about this thing called the order of God or the kingdom of God, he does it in two ways, generally speaking. He talks about what it takes to enter into the kingdom of God, to make that leap, to get into it, and then he talks about what it's like to live in it, to move in it. Two different, two different things. Let's talk about the first thing first, entering the kingdom of God. How does one enter into this kingdom of God? This kingdom that promises not just a life of purpose and order, but eternal life later. How does one enter into that? Um, and again, the most general answer would be, well, we enter into the kingdom of God, into eternal life. We do it through the gateway of this life. I mean, that's kind of what this life is for. It's it's an entering in sort of stage of existence for us. You enter into the kingdom of God in this earthly life, and then it lasts forever, even after death. It is, this question of entering the kingdom of God, it is the question of life and death. You know? We have that phrase, oh, it's a matter of life and death. Well, this really is the matter of life and death because it determines eternal life or eternal death. So kind of a big deal, kind of a big deal. Uh, How does one enter then? I mean, that becomes the question of all questions. 
Uh, and, and it's actually a great and an interesting question. And when we read that compendium of teaching and stories that we call the Bible, and specifically the Gospels in which Jesus provides most of his teaching, uh, we get some interesting answers. I have actually surveyed churched people, Christians, on this question. How do you enter into the kingdom of God? And uh, I've done a very broad survey, both national and international, I want you to know. And most people who have hung around church give me an answer that has something to do with forgiveness. They say something like, uh, well, you enter the kingdom of God when God forgives you for your sins. True or false? You are blue water people, so you have learned not to answer my questions <laughs> because there's always some little surprise or trick embedded in them. Good, good. You are, you are beginning to learn. Actually, you know, biblically speaking, I mean, just, just using Scripture, uh, particularly uh, the teachings that Jesus gives that we have recorded, that's really not how it works. Jesus doesn't really talk about it that way. One, because in the kingdom of God, forgiveness is almost ridiculously easy. Jesus just goes around and forgives people of their sins before they even ask for it, before they repent, sometimes even before they know they need forgiveness. You know, it's, oh, you're forgiven. What? And then uh, at the end of the Gospel of John, he turns to his disciples, his main leaders, and he says, whoever you forgive on earth uh, is forgiven in heaven. In other words, forgiveness is a ministry. It's something that we give one to another. If I say, in the name of Jesus, you're forgiven, you are. Because Christ has given me authority to do that. He's given authority uh, that we should do that one for another. So it's, it's like a free gift, the question is not, does God forgive you? The only question is, do you, forget, do you accept the forgiveness that God gives? That's a different question. So when we talk about accepting Christ, that's often what we're talking about. Do you accept it? And, you know, sometimes we get crazy about that as humans. Like, well, I'm not going to accept anything because I don't need anything. You know, people get into that. But, you know, hey, it's free. Take it, um, is, is my philosophy on that. And the other issue is that a lack of forgiveness doesn't really keep God away from you. People are wrong-headed about that. You know, if you are in sin, that doesn't keep God from you. That was what the whole Jesus mission was about. Jesus shows up. He, you know, puts on dirty flesh, so to speak. God come to earth, and he goes around and he hugs the most sinful people that he can find. No, sin doesn't keep God away from you. But sin might pull you away from God, and that's what makes sin so dangerous and destructive. If there's a lot of sin in your life, it weakens your brain. And you think wrongly about God, and you think wrongly about life, and you can't walk a straight path anymore. Even if you think your path is straight, that's the problem with sin. It's like a cancer that gets you from the inside out, and it causes you to make stupid decisions that pull you uh, from God. In any case, entering the kingdom of God is not just, you know, well, what do I have to do to be forgiven? It's, that's not really an issue. You know, sin is an issue and forgiveness is an issue, but that's not what entering the kingdom of God is about, biblically speaking. The Gospel of John says a lot about entering the kingdom of God or entering into eternal life, and, and mostly it talks about it in terms of believing in God or believing in Christ or knowing God or knowing Christ. Uh, one of the most quoted pieces of Scripture in the world, John 3.16, uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. If you believe in Jesus, then you know, eternal life is available to you. 
That's a provocative statement. We quote it a lot, but what does it really mean? It seems like we could unpack that a little bit, but there are lots of statements like that, particularly in the Gospel of John. In John 17, um, uh, we read, now this is eternal life. This is the ticket. In other words, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You know God and know what he's up to that sort of thing, and that's kind of in a ticket to eternal life. So to believe in God or to know God, but to me that just kind of begs the question, what does it mean to believe in God? What does it mean to know God? I mean, how do you operationalize that? Um, and, uh, you know, since they're both relational statements, it's, uh, it, it's, it's an interesting answer to that question. I mean, how do, how do, you, how do you know Jordan? Well, you guys all know me in different ways. If you're in my immediate family, you know me a certain way. Your relationship is a certain way. Um, if you work closely with me, you know me a certain way. Some of you only know me uh, through Sunday morning. Do you know me? You all know me in some fashion, right? Um, we could say we all know God in some fashion, but is there something going on there? We all perhaps believe in God in some fashion or at least enough to come to a church and to seek a little more information on him. But is, is there more to it than that uh, is, is the question. Relationships vary. What is it about the knowing and the believing that we have to get right? And plus, you know, we'll get into this in a minute, but in the kingdom of God there's this thing called grace which messes up every formula. That's the problem with grace. God is so ridiculously generous that as soon as you try to hold him to a formula, well, you have to do such and such and believe such and such, and then you're in. Then he goes and just makes it more generous than that, a little more crazy than that. Throughout the other Gospels, especially when Jesus talks about entering the kingdom of God and receiving eternity, uh, he makes it sound that it has to do with how you live this life. It has to do with your lifestyle. In other words, it's not just that you believe, it's that you have a believing lifestyle. Or as uh, uh, James puts it in his epistle, even the devil believes in the one true God. <laughs> you know, he believes that God exists. But does the devil have a believer's lifestyle? Yeah, not exactly. Not exactly. Um, what is a believer's lifestyle? Well, actually, Jesus talks a lot about that. He spends actually the bulk of his teaching on that. What is a believing lifestyle? And he leads us to believe that if we lead the believer's lifestyle, then we have entered into the kingdom of God. Now, what it takes for me to lead the believer's lifestyle might be slightly different than what it takes for you to lead the believer's lifestyle, but we both have to get into it and figure it out based on our relationship with God. Jesus says in Matthew 7, hey, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. So, you know, you can't just go around saying, oh, yeah, I believe. Yeah, yeah, Jesus is Lord. And Jesus is saying, well, it's more than that. It's more than that. It's not just lip service, right? There's a deeper lifestyle to it. Matthew 25 is similar. Maybe some of you know the parable of the sheep and the goats. Uh, you know, the goats say, Lord, Lord, um, or the 
the group of human that we call goats and say, Lord, Lord, um, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not perform miracles in your name? And in the parable, God replies to them and says, oh yeah, you know, you said the right things and you performed the right things, but you didn't do the right things. And in the parable, the right things were you didn't love the poor. You didn't visit the shut-ins and the prisoners and the sick. In other words, you could perform at a high level, but you're not really a loving, sacrificial person. You have to do the acts of love if you're leading the believer's lifestyle. Uh, this rich, young leader, this rich, young social leader comes to Jesus uh, in uh, a couple of the Gospels, we get this story, and he asks very pointedly, Rabbi, Jesus, what must I do to gain eternal life? And when there's a question like that in Scripture, I pay attention immediately. And Jesus says, uh, they have a little scriptural discussion, and then Jesus says, well, you, my friend, need to sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and then come follow me. For that guy, leading a believer's lifestyle meant selling everything. He was quite a wealthy young man, evidently. And that young man turns his back on Jesus and walks away and leaves Jesus sadly shaking his head. And then Jesus turns and says to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter into the kingdom of, of God. Why? Well, because rich people tend to focus on money. That's the temptation of money in any case, instead of focusing on love. If you have a lot of money, it should be used to love people. Jesus always prioritized loving the poor, the weakest in society. You know, it, it means different things for different people. That's, that's the trouble. You know, are you living a believer's lifestyle? He says to his own disciples in reassurance after that episode, he says, hey guys, everyone who leaves houses or brothers or sisters, fathers, mothers, wives, and children, and fields will receive much in this life plus eternal life later. In other words, the sacrifices that you make to follow Jesus all count, and that's just part of the lifestyle. It should be a sacrificial lifestyle. He says uh, more than once in the Gospels, you know, tax collectors, in other words, thieves and extortionists and sinners and prostitutes and children all tend to have the right idea about entering the kingdom of God, and we need to be like them. We need to be frank about our sinfulness and weakness, and we need to be uncomplicated. We don't need to double think or, or uh, be too expert. Just do the right loving things, make loving sacrifices for the sake of Jesus. That's it. That's it. And adults tend to overcomplicate that. The kids tend to get it right. I find that an encouraging statement. But really, you know, I can't tell you exactly what the believer's lifestyle is going to look like for you because there's grace and there's generosity and there's just hardly anything about life in the kingdom of God that is formulaic. My favorite story of, of what you might call salvation uh, in the Gospels is the story of the criminal hanging on the cross next to Jesus on the day of Jesus' execution. And there's, there are two criminals two criminals there, and one criminal mocks Jesus and said, oh, yo, everybody thought you were such a big deal, but you're getting killed just like us criminals. You know, you're, you're a joke. And then the criminal hanging on the other side of Jesus on, on another cross says, hey, leave him alone. We deserve to die. We're criminals, but there's something about this guy that's different. There's something about this guy that's godly. And then the criminal says to Jesus, hey, remember me. Remember me. 
And Jesus just turns to the guy and says, today you're with me in paradise. He got in. He got in. This criminal who had lived an awful life gets in just by turning to Jesus and saying, hey, you're not so bad. Remember me. What formula is that? But for that guy, that was his, his believer's lifestyle. That moment, he squeaked in, didn't he? He squeaked in. He probably missed a lot of rich, purposeful living in his previous life. Hard to put a formula on it, but you know what? I want to live a believing lifestyle. I don't want to get surprised at the end because it is the question of life and death. It's the question of eternal life and death, which is why Jesus gives it so much attention, which means that I need to have a feel for what life in the kingdom of God, for what life in the order of God's kingdom is like. What is it like? How does one go about it? You know, again, there's a ton of material on this from Jesus. Life in the kingdom of God uh, means that we move in love. There's lots about that. Jesus says you even have to love your enemies. In other words, it is just ridiculously generous love, 24-7, 365, no matter who's in front of you, you love them sort of love, even if they're trying to destroy you. Exceptional. He talks a lot about grace, which is the most unique thing about Christianity. You know, grace is getting something good that you don't deserve, and there's really not much reservation on the way Jesus lives it out or preaches it. The kingdom of God uh, is a place of power. It's a place of force. When you move in the kingdom, you move in power so that when we encounter poor people, we always provide. When we encounter sick people, we always bring cure, whether it's physically or supernaturally. At least we're always trying to do these great things. The kingdom of God on earth is not an idea. The kingdom of God on earth is a force. And we need to reflect that in our lives. The life in the kingdom of God, Jesus says, has an all or nothing quality to it. He likens it to uh, finding a treasure in a field and you want that treasure really bad, so you go and sell everything you have so that you can buy the field and claim uh, the treasure. It's gonna cost you everything, but evidently it's worth it. There's something about that that characterizes the attitude of living in the kingdom of God. This is stuff that we need to kind of get into our lives and get right about, so to speak. And then he says life in the kingdom of God is all about growth. It's all about fruitfulness. It's all about growing in your own life, but also bringing growth to other people's lives. That is to say, bringing kingdom order and growth to other people's lives. And we've actually been talking quite a bit about that the last eight weeks or so. And we've been talking about uh, how important it is to bring growth, to bring the order of kingdom to other people about being a salt and light. What I want to do is just... uh, review uh, this morning just a short passage of scripture that actually includes three different parables on how important it is for us to bring the kingdom uh, to other people, to bring growth. Uh, Jesus talks about this maybe more than any other quality of a believer's lifestyle. He talks about the importance of bringing the kingdom to other people in the world. So I'm going to read from Mark 4, verses 21 through 32. It's going to be up on the big board. It's in your programs. You can follow along on your smartphone Bible or in your old school hard copy Bible. He said to them, 
Jesus speaking. Uh, Do you bring in a lamp and put it under a bowl or a bed? Uh, Instead, don't you put it on a stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. In other words, figure out this analogy, figure out this parable. Jesus often talks about the, the kingdom in us as a lamp that we should let shine for all the world to see. And he says, if it's inside you, it's not meant to stay there, it's meant to shine outwardly like a lamp. You don't, you don't bring a lamp into a room and hide it. You know, that's not what lamps are for. Lamps are to bring light to everyone around. So, if the kingdom, if the love and the grace and the power and the truth is in you, but hidden or concealed, that's stupid. That would be like lighting a lamp, bringing it in, and then putting a bucket over it. You know, stupid. Things that are concealed are meant to be brought out. That's the nature. Whatever is within you, whatever you have received is meant to be shared, period. That's the nature of the kingdom of heaven. He considers, uh, he continues, consider carefully what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And even more, whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. So this is kind of sobering. He said, look, if you've received kingdom order from God, if you've received love, if you've received grace, if you've received power, if you've received truth, and you don't give it away, then it will actually shrink within you. Right? It will be taken away. However, if you've received love, if you've received grace, if you've received power, if you've received truth, if you've received something from God and you share it, then it will actually grow within you. The more you give it away, the more you have. That's a basic law in the kingdom of God on earth. The more you give away, the more you'll have. If you don't give it away, you're going to shrink and wither to nothing. Sobering. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day. Whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. You put a seed in the ground, something happens, and it sprouts up. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, then he puts the sickle in it because the harvest has come. Right? The kingdom of God is, is an interesting and powerful thing. Oh, you do your bit, but then the kingdom is just so full of life and power that it does is its bit. You know, it's even kind of beyond your understanding how it works, but it will produce, and then you have to do your bit again and, and harvest. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of garden plants. It has a tremendous capacity for growth, even if it starts small. Uh, it grows into uh, the largest of garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. This is all about growth. This is all about how you are supposed to let the kingdom in you influence the kingdom uh, in, in other people, or to bring the kingdom into other people. Here's the thesis statement of all the parables. This is the thread. This is what it leads me to conclude. You have to trust that the kingdom is a powerful thing. That's really what these parables are about. If you let it shine, it brings illumination. If you actually sow seeds, they will grow. They will grow. 
tremendously if given half the chance. You know, don't hide it. Don't hide what's in you. If you do, you'll die. You'll wither away. If you let it out, growth happens. I like the seed parable here, uh, the first one. Like, you do your bit. Just plant, plant seeds, man. Just plant seeds. Uh, Jazzy shared a great testimony about that earlier. She just did what, what she needed to do in that moment. She just had a conversation. She asked a few good questions. She made an invitation. And then the rest was really beyond her control, wasn't it? But eventually she got a text back. Something happened. Growth happens. And now, you know, growth is taking root. Uh, in, in another life. It's super encouraging to me that the kingdom of God is ordered for life. It's almost an irresistible life force, provided that nothing gets in the way and that we do our bit. Do you believe that's true? Do you believe that planting seeds in other people's life, do you believe that a one-sentence God story or a godly word of encouragement can actually change a life around you? Do you believe that to be true? Well, you have to believe that the kingdom of God is a powerful thing. You have to believe it. This is what Jesus is trying to teach us here. Do you believe it or not? And if you don't believe that the kingdom of God is this unstoppable growth force, then you won't even give it a chance. You won't plant. You won't shine. In fact, you'll go out of your way to hide, which seems ridiculous. But that's what we humans do. Yeah. Um, you have to trust that the kingdom is a powerful thing. Um, I'm all for I'm all for being clever in the way that we minister in the world and we share with other people. But I mean, the older I get, the more I have to just admit to myself and 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 enjoy the fact that. I have something that's so powerful in my life that almost no matter what I do with it, no matter how I share it, good things tend to happen. Do you believe that the kingdom of God is a powerful thing? On a scale of 1 to 10, honestly, where, where, where are you with that? We, we have a woo. Do we have a, uh, how many of those do we have? Or do we have a, you know what, I'm, I'm not even trying uh, to share it. Um, and, and I think those are all common responses uh, in their way. Why wouldn't we think that the kingdom of God is a powerful thing? How might we have learned that it's not? Um, probably all sorts of ways to... Um, to answer that question, but I think probably for most of us, if we have learned that the kingdom of God is not a powerful thing, it might have to do with statistics, which is to say you haven't planted enough to know how fruitful it is. Um, Jesus, right before these parables, he, ta he tells the, the famous parable of the soils. He says, a farmer went out to sow seed, and he just scatters it all around, and some fed on the, fell on the path, and the birds stole it away. So that kingdom planting didn't even get a chance. And he said, some uh, falls on shallow soil, and the seeds sprout up, but because they can't take root, the, the soil is too shallow, uh, the plant withers and dies under the sun, 
And he says some kingdom seeds uh, fall among uh, rocky soil, among, among, uh, no, among thorns and weeds. And that sprouts up, but then they get choked out. Those kingdom plants get choked out by uh, the thorns and the weeds of the world, which Jesus later explains represents worldly anxieties and desires and, and stuff like that. Um, this is sometimes called the parable of the soils. Here's what I learned from the parable of the soils. The seed is always powerful, right? Even in bad soil, the seed sprouts. The kingdom of God always brings life always brings life. The question is, what's the soil like? And we can't control that. I can plant a kingdom seed in you, but you are your own soil. If you're a shallow person, then you will eventually choke out kingdom life. You know, if you are a person given to much anxiety and worldly desire, then yeah, sure, that can, that can choke out kingdom growth in you. That's what it means to be human. And that's why Jesus says you have to leave, live the believer's life. It's a decision that you make to believe in God. But there are other things that you need to take care of if the plant is going to continue to grow. Are we good soil or not? For those of us who are farmers and planters who want to be kingdom influencers in the world, it means that we, we have to make the most of statistics, if you spend your whole life concentrating on one person who has shallow soil, God bless you, but over time, you might begin to doubt that your kingdom seeds are powerful enough to bring growth. But if you're the sort of person who's just trying all the time, even when you're sitting at Starbucks looking for conversations to have or you're making relationships at work, if you're that kind of person, then I guarantee you, you will have a harvest because Jesus guaranteed us, and we have 2,000 years of history backing us up on this. So, something to, something to that. I want every, this is a goal of mine, I want every 10-minute conversation I have with someone to be life-changing in some way. That's my goal. If you talk to me for 10 minutes, I want to change your life by the end of that 10 minutes. If I have a 10-minute conversation in a Starbucks, I had better plant some kingdom seeds before that conversation is over. That's kind of a personal goal that I have, which means, one, I start a lot of conversations, and two, I try to make every conversation significant by asking good discipleship questions or making potent invitations and suggesting potent action steps to people. So, you know, if you have a conversation with me, I'll probably be asking you some very purposeful questions. I'm not much for small talk normally, but I try to be less and less so over time. Like, well, let me just ask you a, a poignant question instead of talking about this drivel. I don't say it like that, but... Or I'll be making uh, pointed invitations to specific action steps. My favorite phrase is, hey, let's do this. Or, hey, let's try this. And then I make a suggestion. Uh, I give people moments of decisions. Uh, I'll be testifying about truths. I share a lot of one-sentence stories as many as I can. I even think about how to formulate these stories into one sentences as I drive around town during the day. So they're always ready. They're always on my lips. If you talk with me for 10 minutes, I will be very interesting. I might well be very irritating. I get some nods, oh yeah. Um, but I will at least be interesting. I'm trying to be shining. I'm trying to be 
planting. I'm trying to be flavorful. I'm trying to be influential all the time. Because I know the more that I do that, the more will be given to me. The more growth I will have uh, to give. Following me? Um, shifting gears slightly, but not really. Last Sunday, I asked everybody who came uh, to write down one item for follow-through. One thing that they were going to try and follow through uh, this week. And it might have been an item that you had for a while and weren't following through on, but you decided that, well, no, this is the week that I'm going to try and, and follow through on it for a while. How did you do on follow-through this week? How many were here last week? And let's start with that. You have to raise your hand if you were here last week. Um, otherwise, um, you, like, totally lose your salvation. So, no, no. Maybe I don't have that authority. All right. And so you all had some object for follow-through. How many of you followed through on that thing this week? Yeah, it's not, not too bad. How many of you struggled to follow through on it this week? Yeah. So why, why are we explicit and frank about things that we want to follow through on in life? Why? Because discipleship equals follow-through. If you want to grow with Jesus, if you want to grow in the kingdom of God, it always boils down to following through. And if you want to be a discipler, if you want to be a helper of people in the kingdom of God, then it always boils down to follow up. Follow up on people's follow through. That's it. That's what it boils down to. That's the process of discipleship. We are a community of purpose and growth. So uh, that's what we try to do. We try to follow up on follow through. Uh, in one way, shape, or form. Now, I have another invitation this week. What is one way in which you can plant a seed this week? Now, hold it. There are all sorts of ways in which you could plant a seed this week, right? So, in the next 10 seconds, the Lord might speak one to you. So, we're going to wait on that. But you might already just have something. It's like, you know, you know how I need to plant a seed? Or, you know... Um, I need to plant a seed in this particular person or I need to plant a seed in this group of people at work or something like that. You might, you know, already like, oh, yeah, yeah, I haven't been letting my light shine with them. And that's stupid. You know, that diminishes me. Um, but if you're like totally stuck on ideas, the Lord might speak something to you. So let's take a quiet 10 or 15 seconds and just be like, Lord, I want to shine. You got any suggestions? So the reason uh, we do little things like that is because just discipleship or following God or living the believing lifestyle in this life boils down to follow through. The kingdom of God is such a powerful thing that if you share it, if you scatter it, to use Jesus' phrasing from the parables, if you give it half a chance, it will bring a harvest around you. It will bring harvest into your life. And that's what you want. That's what you want to see. If salt loses its saltiness, in other words, if you're not flavoring the environments around you, then you've missed the point of life on earth. And 
And it's an important point. I mean, it's kind of the point that, when it gets right down to it, determines uh, life and death. You know, perhaps for you, but also perhaps for the people around you, which is why it's so important to God. It's not, it's not a small thing. Entering into the kingdom of God starts with the decision. Uh, but it's fulfilled in a lifestyle. It's fulfilled in a lifestyle of love and grace and power. Some force and extremity. And growth. And sharing. Influencing. Being light. Being salt. Being a, a planter of seeds. And a harvester. Well, when the time comes. Well, I bless you all in Jesus' name uh, to, to make the right decisions, but to also pursue uh, the right purposes. Uh, let's pray for a second, and then uh, if any of the uh, prophetic uh, team has uh, some words, they're invited to come up and share. Holy Spirit, I pray that you perfect your agenda for every person in the room this morning. whether we need to make the decision to enter into the kingdom of God or whether we need to follow through on the things of the kingdom of God. Speak to us now, Holy Spirit. In Christ's name.